Welcome to Recalculating Adventist Life Now. I am Skip Bell, your host. The focus today is building community in a divided world. My guest is Glenn Russell. Glenn is an associate professor of religion at Andrews University, born in Cairo, Egypt. He holds a Master of Divinity from the uh, Theological Seminary at Andrews, a Doctor of Ministry degree in missions at Trinity International University. He's served on the religion faculty at Andrews for years, serving uh, as chair in that university community of that faculty department. He's also taught on the secondary level, which is great in his uh, resume of experience. He's authored two secondary religion textbooks and taken students uh, to serve in short-term ministry uh, life and projects in Romania, places like Benin, Zimbabwe, Kenya, Honduras. Pretty much on an annual basis makes his service trip to the Middle East, focusing on relationships he's developed over so many years in Lebanon. Welcome, Glenn. Well, thank you, Skip. Glad to be with you. Glenn, uh, we're talking about building community in a divided world. I'm glad you're joining us because uh, you have a great deal of personal reflection, not simply your academic work. You serve in a very diverse college community, your student body, your staff, your residential community is, is quite diverse. And you have formed deep relationships over many years with communities in Lebanon. That's a nation torn by ideological, religious, and political conflict. So I'd like to kind of begin on a global context, and then we'll work down towards some more personal narratives and reflections Share with us, please, Glenn, your story, uh, what your observation of experience is in areas of the world, talking first in a more global way, where communities such as in Lebanon are broken, uh, a big picture reflection on such divisions in individuals, families, and society. Glenn? Well, thank you, Skip. Your your introduction that we live in a divided world is sad but true, and it's also becoming more fractured and divided and polarized, it seems, as time goes on. Um, it, it is certainly true that almost anywhere you go, you'll find ethnic or regional or internal uh, conflicts within countries. It's, it's sad but true. You have uh, worked... Uh, and undoubtedly have friends you probably correspond on a regular basis with people in Lebanon. Uh, and that's an Islamic Christian uh, mixed community or nation, and that nation's been torn by violence. Uh, you've seen activism over there. But communities have responded as you and students have gone to serve what do you see as key to bringing people together in a context like that in Lebanon? Well, on a personal level, I think one of the requirements is friendships. We need to have friends that are beyond our own community, our own circle. Um, I've often played uh, soccer with guys that are from 
the Maronite community, the, which is a Christian group, and, and uh, other athletes are there from Muslim communities and so forth. And we all mix and mingle together, have fun together on a friendship level. There's a few things that you don't get into. You don't get into politics. You don't get into trying to convert the other on these informal friendship levels. But you uh, you mingle. You learn. You listen. You enter homes. You share food together. You want to understand the other person's perspective. Listen and observe. And have some humility that we don't have all the truth. So across those barriers of our religious histories, even though that landscape in Lebanon has been so marked by violence, you find others whose history is different than yours as a conservative Christian willing to form friendships and relationships. Oh, yes. I can think of many friends I have who are Muslim, uh, friends that I have that are Hindu. I mean, we need to to develop uh, uh, both a boundary, a conviction, what I call borders and bridges, uh, convictions about who we are and our own understandings of truth, and then build bridges to others who come from different perspectives. We can learn from each other. Are you able to do that, Glenn, without feeling that their differing religion or differing political ideas uh, are a threat? I mean, you're out there playing soccer. You're going to their homes in Lebanon for meals. Uh, how, How do you get to that point where you don't feel threatened by those differences? You know, a threat comes from fear, and I think friendship should evaporate those fears. As we get to know each other, I was in a home uh, a few years ago, and and, uh, the patriarch of the family said to me, "Uh, Glenn, why don't you become one of us? He was speaking of his religious faith. Uh, You like our food. We enjoy your friendship. Uh, Why don't you become one of us? I could have taken that as an offense, but in fact, I felt it was a wonderful compliment. If anyone says, we'd like to have you part of our group, I think that's a a special thing. And I told them I was honored by that invitation. I also mentioned why that would be difficult for me uh, because of some convictions I have about Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And uh, and yet, you know, we could end that discussion or have that discussion in a way that I think was, was quite joyful. You mentioned that in that kind of global context, you must have respect for the other and not this... Uh, uh, approach. Uh, you, uh, you didn't use the word arrogant, but you use the word uh, humility. So the relationship has to be entered into then without this desire to change who they are? That's a tough question. Because, you know, Skip, if you ask me uh, about my wife, I would be telling you that she's the best in the world. Because I love her and believe in her. And she's, I'm married up. She's, she's been patient with me. So that's, that's a great thing. However, uh, I wouldn't want to say that in some way that made someone else feel offended about their own spouse, their own life partner. So we have to be both committed and enthusiastic about 
what we've chosen, but also be open to learn and open to respect how God is leading in other lives. Yeah, that's a good metaphor because we are faithful and blessed in the relationship of a spouse who has chosen us and we them. Uh, and at the same time, we respect the other's choice. But you're not apologetic. And you have found that you're able to just affirm your faith in a kind, humble way without creating divisions. You know, it's an old cliche, but it's still true that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Uh-huh. And just by by being a caring person, which I fall so short of so many times, but I also think there's great value in learning, learning about, reading, understanding, uh, exposing yourself to what the other person uh, believes, what their life worldview is, etc. cetera. Uh, we need to become students of of the other. Uh, your service has placed you among Islamic people, among uh, people who are fervent regarding a Catholic Christian faith, which has some distinct uh, histories from the more conservative uh, Protestant faith movement that you and I share as Seventh-day Adventists, and most of our listeners are are either part of or aware of that faith journey. So you're talking from experience. I'd like to bring it closer to home now. Um, here in the context of a citizen of our nation of America, our communities here on these shores, you have worked among uh, white black, Spanish, Asian communities. Your experience is quite broad. So you've encountered a variety of worldviews and ways of thinking right here in our own homeland. I'm, I'm going to pause for a moment and see if, you know, my perspective is that America is more of a tapestry, a mosaic, or a stew pot rather than one monochromatic thing, and that we can respect that diversity. Can you comment for a moment on your experience with diversity here in our own homeland? I think it's part of what makes us rich. It's part of what makes America great is this idea that we have, uh, we have this wonderful opportunity to get to know people from lots of different backgrounds. Uh, I love hearing different languages, tasting different kinds of food, listening to accents. Uh, we, can be, we can enrich our lives by finding out how someone else celebrates Christmas or, or going to a wedding that's of people from a different cultural background. Those kinds of experiences enrich our lives. Yeah, when you use the word uh, enrich, it's almost uh, a suggestion. Well, it is a suggestion that our life in America can be fuller if we engage in awareness and listening to that diversity. If you go to the city of Chicago and look at the churches in the city, you see the great ethnic diversity that has contributed to the greatness of of this country and that city. And we need those influences uh, of people from all kinds of backgrounds. That is what has made America great. And we have these various worldviews, and you have experienced 
that in the classroom, in your residential community, in your service right here in America. We are a diverse nation. And in that context, Glenn, can you uh, just share with us, I think our listeners would like to hear from you, what does Dr. Russell treasure what would he desire or wish for if American community could be a united community, a vision for a united community, even with our diversity? What, what does that look like in your fondest wish? You know, as someone who grew up of, of missionary parents and who lived in other countries, um, the United States has always had a high emotional and value uh, perspective in my life. You know, uh, my dad uh, was in prison camp as a Canadian during the Second World War for four years. My mother was an American. She was able to be freed and came back to the States. Our family's been evacuated five times in war zones, several times. It was the U.S. military who protected us or evacuated us. So I'm deeply appreciative of this country that I call my own. And I'm so thankful to be part of the United States. I love traveling around the world. In fact, uh, Skip, I've been missing the TSA agents recently because of no chance to travel, you know. Yes, yes. <laughs> but uh, but uh, there's something wonderful about coming home. I'm very thankful to be an American. You know that we have tensions in a diverse nation like America, different worldviews, different uh, perspectives on issues that affect our country. Um, and I want to bring this to a very personal level. Uh, we Americans, most observers will agree, are experiencing significant division. Uh, our cultures, our worldviews, we recognize words like racism or nationalism or uh, religiosity becoming divisive, not to mention political views. You had a sobering, if not disturbing, experience that you know, bears some reflection. Uh, you encountered a, a parade of folk passionate about expressing their views on on a residential street of your neighborhood, it bears some thought about how to deal with our diversity. Can you tell us about that uh, experience, Glenn, and let's see what we might learn from it. Well, it was a Sunday afternoon, and I had gone out for a bicycle ride in our neighborhood and was just half a, well, about a block down the road from our house, and a parade of vehicles came along. You know, politics is often vibrant and boisterous and so forth, and, and I have no problem with that. But as some vehicles passed, they had a flag for their candidate, as well as the United States flag and the Confederate flag. Now, I pastored down in Virginia for a number of years, I think I have a fairly good understanding of what the Confederate flag means in terms of the divided emotions that it raises. And as I saw the U.S. flag next to the Confederate flag, I just kind of reacted uh, 
didn't think it through, didn't, you know, we just act out of the impulses of our life sometimes. And I yelled at one of the vehicles who was flying this, uh, that was flying these two flags, you know, get that out of here. We don't want that in our neighborhood, um, the Confederate flag. Get that flag out of here. We don't want it in our neighborhood. And as that vehicle passed and the next one passed, someone leans out the window and spits at me. Uh, and, you know, I've been spat on before, <laughs> in, and uh, it's, no, it's no great moral accomplishment to say that. Uh, my Savior was spat upon. Um, but it was, it was shocking that that would be the response, not a, a dialogue, but an insult. And, and I would want to say that there were people who very quickly uh, were part of that same political party who said, we don't agree with that, we don't support that, and so forth. So I'm not saying this represents all, but it does represent the conflict, the polarization that is extremely severe in our country at this time. Now, imagine, Glenn, that uh, a week later you were in a home somewhere and another guest was there who happened to be driving one of those vehicles and you were able to have a reasonable, considered conversation. How would you describe, if, if the person said to you, I get so passionate about what I believe, and I end up doing things that I just uh, later regret. Do you have any counsel for me? In other words, it's an open door, and you can reason with them. What, what would you say to them? Well, the first thing I'd say is I've made some passionate mistakes in my life too mm -hmm. often, mm -hmm. and so I would certainly understand that part. I would want to know a little bit about how they understood these symbols. Symbols have meaning. Words have meaning. Words are loaded. Uh, flags have meaning. Uh, I can remember seeing the American flag as we were being evacuated from a war zone on one occasion. You know, My father, who was Canadian, often flew a U.S. flag in front of his house because he remembered that the Americans had helped uh, free him from prison camp. So... Uh, as a, a as a civilian missionary in the Second World War, so I'd want to know what do you understand about what a flag means, what a symbol means, and and hopefully we could have a discussion about how words and actions and symbols can trigger uh, responses that are not helpful. So we have to choose our words carefully. We we have to think before we act. How do how do you deal with the suggestion? Uh, Christ came to divide, not to bring people uh, into one place. Uh, how, you know that idea of division as opposed. It seems like it might contradict the need to be truthful about Christ. How, how do you engage in that kind of conversation? I still go back to those two metaphors I mentioned of bridges and boundaries. There, there does need to be clarity about beliefs, clarity about truth, biblical truth, and so forth. But there also has to be bridges to build relationships. 
And I would want, if there's going to be division, let it be over a, an acceptance rejection of truth rather than of relationships just being polarized. I don't know if that makes sense, but for me, I would rather try to build a relationship. If after building that relationship, we find out that we have little in common, then there should be mutual respect uh, as to the boundaries. So the mutual respect means uh, it affects our time, what we share of lifestyle, uh, perhaps choices to no longer engage in uh, conversations that are not uh, moving toward any mm. positive direction. Is, is that kind of what I'm hearing? Yes, I think so. You know, we probably have to talk about what this word tolerance means in our world today. Yes. One of the perspectives is that tolerance means I need to agree with everything you say, Skip. Um, another perspective is that tolerance means that I respect your right to see things differently. And I will not always agree with you, but I respect you as a person. And I will respect your right to have a different perspective. I don't necessarily need to agree to it, but I need to be respectful about the process. So there isn't a need for us all to believe, think, uh, move, act in the same way in order to respect one another. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're going to have very different perspectives, that's for sure. We're, um, you know, some worry about violence in America right now with our mm. particular issues that are so much a part of the uh, public dialogue. Now, uh, we know that we're talking about political division. However, as I go back through my experience, I've seen uh, issues that divide severely, like this current issue is dividing us. It could be religion. It could be cultural habits. It can even be things that some of us might say are little things, like music or forms of worship in a local congregation that somehow become so divisive and people are almost willing to become violent about it. Right now, that word nationalism is mm. on uh, the tip of our tongue. Um, and if we study scripture, we're worried about uh, nationalism and Bible prophecy, perhaps religious nationalism. Can you talk to us about that, Dr. Russell? What is meant by nationalism and some perspectives on it? Oh, that's a, a big question. Let's take a stab at it. I think nationalism and patriotism should be uh, explored a little bit. Patriotism, I would see, as being a noun that, that talks about devoted love, support, support for our countries, national loyalty, uh, defending our country. Uh, every person in the world should be supportive of the country where they live, where they have their citizenship, and so forth. Uh, that would be patriotism, you know. Mm -hmm. Patriotism needs to, we should love our country. We should support our country. We should care about the conditions of our country. Nationalism, however, 
tends to start asserting the interest of my nation above and against the interest of others. So nationalism kind of is patriotism on steroids. It tends to be aggressive. It tends to be excessive. And it tends to lead towards fascism and, and communism uh, can easily arise. Uh, so nationalism uh, has some potential of being degrading in our relationships, maybe, and a perspective that might uh, be interesting to talk about for a moment, Glenn. Nationalism can mean we of our nation. You can you can define that as any nation in the world. So we would say we as Americans, we are better, our choices first, whatever is in our interest, as opposed to other nations, which immediately kind of toys with that mm. word humility because it's putting us above others, nationalism. And that nationalism can move towards uh, military force or power to assert influence. Now, within our own context, then, there are people who are uh, advocates of such emotion, passion, or belief, and those who are cautious about it. And we can tend to begin to look at one another with suspicions. Hmm. I suppose then we say, well, you're not patriotic because you're not putting our own interests first. See, nationalism can become divisive, can't it? Yes, it certainly can, and it tends to. Uh, you know, um, when I was 16, I had a privilege. Uh, I don't know why my parents agreed to it, but they allowed me to travel through Europe by myself for several weeks, and I was in communist countries, six of them, for about a month and a half of that time. Um, you learn something about nationalism when you're in a communist uh, state where rights are taken away, where uh, citizens are not given uh, openness to information and knowledge and so forth. Uh, love for country can devolve into uh, a very negative perspective. Yeah, are you? Uh, uh, are, are what? What counsel would you give to us, uh, Doctor Russell, regarding as Christians um, to relate to nationalism? How should we respond to the interest in nationalism in our own shores? I think we always go back to Jesus first, and uh, uh, you know, I note that some of Jesus' most strident opponents were, were nationalists. They were disappointed and antagonistic towards him because he was not becoming a nationalist messiah. Ah. He, he didn't fit their expectations and demands. And yet, one of those nationalists became Simon the Zealot, a disciple. So Jesus did not cut off his connections or his his work with those who are nationalists, but he didn't allow them to conform. Uh, he didn't conform to their expectations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in terms of Christians, we just make Jesus' kingdom on earth first. Mm. Yeah. 
Now, how, uh, how have you seen Christians bringing about healing? What role do we as Christians have in bringing healing across political divisions, cultural divisions, racial divisions? How active in that should we be? I'm really glad you asked that question because we do need to be seeking to be people who work towards uh, healing, in, in, especially in cases of injustice. And that does not mean simply ignoring the injustice. You know, we've tended to say we'll just work on a personal level with people who are suffering. But there are systemic issues that also have to be dealt with where it's appropriate, where it's, where it's possible. You know, the early Christians were very active in caring for the the injustices of their time. There was a practice of infanticide in Roman society where unwanted children were often brought to certain uh, certain pillars in the town, certain places where these children were just left to be exposed or adopted or whatever, the infanticide. And Christians often would go and take those babies into their own homes and raise them as their adopted children. If you go to the catacombs underneath Rome, you will see uh, little small boxes of these babies that died. Some of them died after Christians had tried to rescue them and care for them. When the plagues were taking place, in many cases, Christians went into the streets and helped the poor where there was a broken down hospital system. So Christians cared for their neighborhoods. They cared for their neighbors, even at great personal cost. Yeah, so uh, they uh, served uh, through relationality and service community is built. Can you... Can you talk for a moment to us about uh, the intentionality of building community in a divided world? I think we need to respond according to the opportunities that we have. You know, because of my background of growing up in Lebanon, uh, when the terrible explosion took place on August 4 Mm. uh, that destroyed a large part of the city of Beirut, just spontaneously, a friend of mine, Stephen Manukian, uh, said, let's do something to raise some funds to help those folks. We can't go and help them, but can we send something? And praise God, thanks to the contributions of many generous hearts, over $50,000 have been raised. You know, uh, in Honduras, where I go every year, we can't go this year. They've had two hurricanes that have left people without water, without bridges, without roads, without homes. We've been able to raise some funds to send them. We try to do some ministry things through the technology that we have to keep in touch and support uh, friends and believers in those contexts. Somebody else may have a connection with with Thailand or a connection with Toronto. Uh, Wherever we have a connection and we see a need, then let's step up and do something. We as Christians must be in the world as citizens and as believers. We can't always wait for an official church decision. Let's find a place of need and get our hands dirty. Okay. Serving people, serving people across racial, cultural, worldview, religious uh, um, lines or uh, cultural distinctions, respecting those and serving and helping. Great. Now, 
Just just a couple of minutes we have left. I I would appreciate Glenn your counsel. Help us out here. The, our our culture in America today is so divided by the political discourse. If you were to use that as a model, how should we as Christians approach the dialogue about politics in such a way that can build community in America? We've got to listen and we've got to engage in in deeper conversations than you can have on a three-sentence or four-sentence Facebook post. Mm -hmm. We need to be careful about caricatures and labels of other people's positions. Uh, You know, I have friends who have very different political uh, perspectives than I have, and I've been told, you know, you should delete them, you shouldn't keep in touch with them, write them off, but no. I want to keep connections open because I certainly don't have all truth and all understanding. I think a lot comes to learning to listen and taking time with each other and looking for what's positive in the other person. That doesn't mean condoning or abandoning our own views, but it does mean having the heart of Jesus that reaches out and tries to see where God is working in that person's life. Glenn, your conversation with us today about building community in a divided world has uh, revolved around relationality, service, listening, respect, carefully choosing words and behaviors. Uh, And that's very practical. It doesn't require a doctoral degree, although you have studied these things so frequently. It's, it's very practical. In just the minute we might have left, any, any summary thought uh, before we uh, say goodbye to our listeners today? You know, we have a lot of resources available. We tend to think of what's not available. But we have the technology available for Zoom conferences and other kinds of ways of reaching out. There's all kinds of technological ways we can communicate Uh, start a little discussion group together with some friends or neighbors. Uh, Do some things uh, with technology that you couldn't do otherwise. I'm thankful that these resources are available to us today. We'd be in rough shape otherwise. But -hmm. first of all, most importantly, spend time in prayer and let, let God lead you to have his heart and an open heart and open hand towards others. Thank you, Glenn. Uh, It's been very, very helpful to have you with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you, Skip. Uh, These are just a few thoughts. There's much more to say from many wiser people, so I hope you'll (laughs) tackle this subject with others in the future. Thank you, Dr. Russell. This is Skip Bell. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. Until next time, keep thinking, keep believing.